Welcome back to the OGs. I'm Don Povia, joined by newly liberated Kyle Bunch. Kyle, are you running around Austin maskless now or what? Uh, so right now my Instagram feed is nothing but all of the restaurants I follow saying, no, still masks here. All, all it basically has done is just force every everybody from our school to everyone else to clarify that they are not going along with uh, this, this whatever you want to call it. I... I Every, every politician free to make his own decisions. I think um, there may, may be a slight corollary between um, completely shitting the bed on keeping the lights on in your state and rushing to make a, uh, a political announcement that, that maybe distracts from some of the, the realities and aftermath of that. But, but what do I know? It's well, Texas I'm, politics, always a rich tapestry of uh, something. I don't I'm, know. Gla- I'm glad to hear they're not mandating you not wear a mask. So I, I, I told somebody, honestly, <laughs> I sort of lost track of the fact that that wasn't already the case. It was such a such a sort of like I assume in a lot of places, you know, in, in the big cities in Austin, you know, like I said, when it's it doesn't change a whole lot, I assume in places not to not to you know stereotype, but I assume in places like Lubbock, masks haven't been prevalent for some time. Gotcha. I, I love how this uh, this intro every week always talks about what the hell is going on in Texas with Kyle nowadays. So I, I'm, I'm fine to be, you know, they're, they're, they're Texas politics, you know, it feels feels as, you know, kind of OG and weird as as blogs with balls always has been. It's a nice tone setter for us. Nice. Uh, well, speaking of blogs of balls, we got a guest this week. He was a guest speaker, came all the way up to Toronto from the great Garden State via Rhode Island, uh, New England sports fan at heart. Uh, he is one of the comedic geniuses behind the sports hernia. Strong. Yeah. Is that fair? That's strong. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, but he did come up to Toronto, not to speak uh, really from the blogging perspective, but from the marketing perspective, he was working with uh, the S3 agency back then doing some uh, doing some marketing, but also had those chops similar to me, kind of have a foot in both worlds. We're joined this week by Jamie Hamill. Jamie, thanks for jumping on with us. Thanks for having me. I hope we I hope we relive some of those great projects we worked on. They were a lot of fun. Uh, we we had Kobayashi really make entree into the world of Jim Brewer and the Goat Boy, and uh, among other things, we did, we did some fun work with some really quirky characters. It was good. It was good. Yeah, I was recently telling somebody a story. They I said they I was it was an anecdotal reference to something he told me, and I was like, yeah, somebody told me. I go, Believe it or not, they the person that had that same experience with me was Jim Brewer, and they were like. How do you know Jim Brewer? And I was like, long story. You well, first he slid into his DMs, I believe. Is that correct? I think you did. Didn't you? I don't know. It might have been you. Know. It might have been me. Yeah, one of us. <laughs> yeah, I remember that one day where me and you sat on a call in a conference room and just like brainstormed it. And I was like, this could work. <laughs> yeah, we did some weird shit, man. That was when my wife coined the phrase the uh the Don Poviet uh traveling circus because uh <laughs> One of the guys that worked with Brewer then was like, "Hey, I'd love to introduce you to the Ultimate Warrior." Uh, I did some wrestling stuff, and you know, he's real, rest his soul. Speaking of the Ultimate Warrior, it all comes full circle here. I got my uh, my Roddy Piper shirt on. I got the wrestlers in the back. Um, but yeah, like going back to the sports hernia. I mean, how, how do you feel just always playing second fiddle to Joe's sports fan? I mean, did that always rub rub you the wrong way or what? What can you repeat that? I that. <laughs> Just breaking your balls. I said, "How do you feel always playing second fiddle to Joe, sports fan?" 
Oh no, that's not true. I mean, <laughs> we were. I think that it's funny. You think back to like the the weird partnerships we formed, and like that was one that we like. We liked those guys. And you think back to, you know, the the, the this podcast is called like the OGs, and it's like you think about the ones we did like and the ones we didn't like, and now it's like completely different. But <laughs> and I won't name names, but you know, I could. <laughs> we do on the side, don't we? Yeah. Uh, you know, like like me, you were a uh, you were a history major as well, um, but then kind of took this turn That's into so funny. yeah into uh, into marketing, into media. Um, you know how how did you go from that educational background? It looks like one of your first jobs was you know straight up as a marketing manager. Yeah, I think I graduated in college. Um, probably a little bit older than you guys. I graduated college in '96 and. When you graduated in 96, it was like the dot-com boom. So um, there were tons of jobs around advertising, marketing. Um, I remember the, the big job everybody tried to get in at was called agency.com. And it was like a, an agency that was the agency called agency.com. When I graduated college, you were, they were, you know, you would go out to bars in the city and this is Manhattan. Um, and, and everybody would be like, oh, I'm a, you know, senior VP of creative at agency.com. And it's like, you're 25 years old, buddy. Like it, it was a lot of that. Um, so there were a lot of, a lot of jobs being thrown around. So, and quite honestly, when you have a degree in, in history, you either go pivot towards your way, which is the traditional way you go to law school, you go to graduate school. Or in my case, um, you're just completely lost. You don't know what to do. So you move to the New York metro area. Because as you can imagine, in 1996, Rhode Island didn't have many jobs when I graduated college. Nice. Um, and when, when about did, uh, with the sports hernia launch? Ooh, that's a great question. We started that. Um, I was living. I remember the initial meeting we had. We, I was living in South Orange, New Jersey, and um, Tim Ryan and Alex Grady came to my apartment. Um, God, what year was that? I would say that was probably like 2000. Is it that long ago? Oh, my God. Sorry to, I'm sorry to hear that, but <laughs> okay. So 2003, 2004, we were sitting in my apartment. I remember Alex had a notebook, and he was like, we're going to create a newsletter. We started out as a newsletter. So um newsletter format and we the goal was we called it the sports hernia magazine and i think was probably taken off of like espn magazine maybe grantland was kind of i don't know that's got to be pre-grantland i think right right but i i feel like i remember a period where we tried to brand one of my various blogs as magazine i there was something i can't i'd have to go trace what the trend was at that point but i feel like that was a thing i kind of yeah. think maybe ipads and tablets right where you can kind of like flip book kind of thing it's right still bef all before because like the iphone wasn't until whatever 2008 or whatever oh, so it was, there was, it was yeah i remember reading emails on flip phone where we would be writing articles on flip phone with like was it Quarty? Like, yeah, the, or the the predictive text. I can't remember what it was T nine or yeah. whatever that was called. So you were you, you went that Stephen A. Smith model, right? Wasn't that his uh, mo to just mail men on the uh, on the BlackBerry? <laughs> just, really? Just, you hurry, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, that's how we started. The idea was was um, a quarterly or a monthly thing we would do, um, and then I remember, and I, this is burned in my memory. Tim Tim Ryan, the sportsman on Twitter shout out Tim. Uh, he, he started writing these 
blogs and he was like, oh no, we should do a blog. And he wrote this like horrible blog on Dino Raja that the Red Sox were signing Dino Raja and it just like pissed me off. And I was like, this isn't funny. It's not, it's not good. <laughs> and I think you're just trying to troll me. And I remember he said, I remember it was like, yeah, well, because all of our other stuff, like everybody would be involved with writing it or, you know, contributing to it. And Tim was really, the, the, you know, Tim and Alex were really the leaders on that. And then it went to that blog format. And then he kind of like schooled me and like, no, we don't have to, not that you don't have to put a lot of effort into it, but we're not talking about paragraphs here. We're talking about a couple quick witty jokes. So he started really started, you know, doing those. And then I think the the other, um, the other four guys kind of like got in line. The other, um, the other guy that's really funny, a shout out is Matt Noonan, um, M Noons. Uh, I can't even think of his Twitter handle, but um, he was heavily involved. He's pretty, he's probably one of the funniest guys I know. Um, you know, I would say I was probably the least funny of the bunch. And, um, you know, it'll quite, probably show after the end of this podcast. Were, were you, the, t the tone of the blog always stood out. Um, was that something where you're like, God, there's so much serious bullshit out here. We just want to break balls or. I was a huge onion guy. Okay. And like, I was a huge Jim Anschauer guy. I love those blogs. I don't you ever read Jim Anschauer on the onion. Not me. No. Kyle. Yeah. The guy, he had, he had a hat like you gone. Right. And it was always like, it was always that kind of comedy that we always kind of liked. And, and, you know, if it took long form and just making things up, um, that's really where we kind of started. And I remember we, you know, the, was it the sports pickle started after us? Yeah. And kind of like, Oh, they were, they, they were after you. You were first. Oh yeah. Yeah. Please. He, he was good. I liked him. He was. No, we had it actually, we didn't like at first we were obviously, you know, we were dumb 28 year old kids. Like, who's this guy? Who the fuck is this guy? But then actually we like emailed with him. I was like, oh, he's cool. He's fine. Yeah. So one of my one of my favorite sports pickles that always like stands out to me was it was like you know where is a uh, jack from jack and diane right it was like jack jack still thinks he's going to be a football star it was like pre-uncle rico right i mean he kind of predated uncle rico or probably right around that same time uh yeah i, mean, I was i was a big fan of the the pickle complete complete aside on jack and diane because did i share with you guys the uh the guy who sang the entire song, yeah. but just the, the lyrics awesome. are just the sucking on chili dogs. That's sorry. One of my favorite things that I've seen on the internet this year. I don't know. I don't know if you sent that, but I sent it to my wife and, and some friends around home. And my wife said, like, I started laughing before I even opened it. <laughs> like just, just exactly. The perfect setup and be, it paid off so well. You know what it was going to be? And it's like, I don't even need to change this. <laughs> when it goes to the multi-screen thing, I, I was like, out getting coffee and just like people looking at me like what's wrong with this guy as i was just <laughs> keeled over laughing uh one, one question we always ask is like was there ever a game plan for it or were you just throwing stuff at the wall i mean no, 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 no. <laughs> no. i think it was that that first, i'm telling you that first you know raja email like he just schooled all of us like no this it's like you just like you know he's explaining i guess what the term what's the term microblogging where it's like right um what was the Tumblr. Yep. It was like yeah. Tumblr style, like very quick. And um, we were in type pad and like, you know, initially in, it was just that it was just like, let's get stuff out there. Um, and then the form that we did it is we just had an email chain, which um, 
uh, Alex actually saved a bunch of them and we would all just kind of comment. And if you could comment, like I was at work, you know, uh, everybody was at work actually. Um, it's the same old story, right? And we were just, um, you know, commenting on, on an article, if you could comment. Um, and then Tim or Alex would be usually be the one posting to it. Um, the, the big thing for us was when, um, for us was when we were on sports center, that was like, that was when we were like, Ooh, we can make money off of this. And it's like, no, we didn't, but <laughs> it was like, it was a Kuiper, uh, hair swap with McKay. McKay. Yeah. That was like, Oh my God, we're so, and like how we're going to be millionaires. We're going to, we're going to make so much money off of this. I remember we were, I was living in Middletown, Don. I was in my backyard, in my back driveway. Like, well, how are we going to take advantage of this? I don't know. Yeah, we didn't, but. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, one of the other things uh, at that time was, you know, Twitter was there and that was, that was pretty much it. Um, And in terms of kind of getting yourselves out there, I mean, how did, uh, you know, some of it kind of came natural. I know for me, like I would target, you know, Philly's blogs or Red Sox blogs, depending on like what I was doing. Was, was there any like proactive promotion on that front to get your stuff out there besides sending it to Trina and, and, and Delario and guys like yeah, that? That was a big I mean, one. Yeah, right. yeah, it was a big one. Right. Um, Which I can't imagine what his mailbox used to look like back then with yeah. every blogger sending every bullshit article that they posted. Yeah, that's why I'll give Tim a lot of credit. He put a lot of time into making those connections. Um, I would joke that Tim had the one job where he could coast the most. Okay. Uh, he like pulled the Don Draper at work, and it was like <laughs> instead of drinking on the job, he was probably blogging on the job. So, you know, uh, that's the way I would equate like what he did. He did a lot of that, um, and I think early on, uh, he connected with uh, the big thing with 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 us was when he started writing for the Big Read. That, you know, just kind of made that connected a dot in a lot of cases and, um, you know, really built up a lot of the traffic through the big lead. Big lead was probably a big thing for us, but again, we never made any money on this. Like, right. Well, you know, Tim kind of dove headfirst in there, went away from his, you know, advertising days and, you know, was, was with the big yep. lead and, and trying to, you know, really make a career of it outside of, um, the sports hernia. I think he said, Alex, yeah. Right. What was, what was Alex's background? marketing we uh me tim and alex all like sat we were cube monkeys three cubes lined up together were you just friends how did y'all get together were you just friends co-workers co-workers and then <laughs> the dreaded uh co-workers turned into roommates me and tim which is the literally the worst thing you can possibly do when you're 26 years old is <laughs> live with your co-worker <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And then uh, Alex, we yeah, he was our he was, and then actually the um, Alex, the other guy, the the other guy from the hernia, Matt, lived across the street. We found out lived across the street from us in Hoboken. He was Alex's friend, and that's Jesus Christ, the, this yeah. the sports hernia group living as you know late twenties, early thirties in Hoboken. My God, it was it was tear that town apart or right. what? <laughs> I said tear that town apart. Or tear. Uh, <laughs> by tearing, was there a lot of nights just of not, nobody going out and sitting in our kitchen and drinking? Yeah. Like, <laughs> we exactly. I don't have any great stories of. No, like Eli Manning bumping into him. No. Uh, I think we were all actually, that's a great question. I think when we were in Hoboken, it was pre hip. There was no Eli Manning there. It was like, ew, you live in Hoboken. Now it's pretty. Yeah, you know, it's, it's the place to be. Thing. We were like the, 
you know, what, what do they say? The Bridge and Tunnel Boys. Yeah. That's what that was. That was we were more of, I think, at that point. It wasn't as nice as it is as it is now. Got it. So on the marketing side, again, it looks like you've done it for shit, close to 20 years now. Um, but kind of like the, those, those okay. early days, like what, what kind of like, what kind of focus did you have? Was there, was there any sports stuff or was it like totally yeah. separate? Okay. Yeah. I always, early on, I worked with big banks. Um, and then, uh, worked for like our clients were like Citibank, bank of America. Um, and then, um, I think really when I met you, Don, when I was working at S3, I was able to um, try to incorporate the brands that I worked with, the consumer brands that I worked with into uh, the sports world or the entertainment world. Um, but it was always a challenge because we didn't have really um, gigantic brands that we worked with. So it was developing kind of the trust that, hey, you know, the I think when like when we worked together, Don, it was like the viral word came out, like, how do we go viral? And it's like, well, there are ways, but you got to have, you know, balls to do it. I'll tie that back into blogs with balls. But um, I think uh, I used to, someone, uh, Denise, who I used to work with, she used to say, you have to have budget or balls. And, you know, a lot of times. You didn't have the budget. Yeah. 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 Sometimes they didn't either. Most of the times. Right. Now, are you sitting there at these conference rooms like, well, you know, like what I do and blogger and content and podcasting, blah, blah, blah. What if we try some of these tactics over in this corporate world? Yeah, we, we tried it. Um, but again, it comes down to, are you willing to put yourself out, out there? Um, even in my role now, I, I, I mentioned podcasts and I think through um, certain companies like Starbucks, like I, I work in um, like the talent acquisition space now, right? marketing from a marketing standpoint. So, you know, how do large companies bring in, you know, a company that has 100,000 employees or 140,000 employees, not only how do they bring them in, but how do you replace because there's a lot of churn with employees and, and, you know, different kinds of roles. Um, I have seen companies like Starbucks, they went ahead and they did, you know, they did a um, campaign with uh, Verizon did it recently with Barstool, like with Pardon My Take. To do that, you have to be able to um, you know, let go of the fact that somebody might come back and say, well, you're partnering with these guys. And then you start connecting the dots to something from eight years ago. So you got to be a pretty strong company to stomach that. Um, but, you know, I, I have seen examples where Starbucks and um, like I said, Verizon did it and you bring it up, but it's just a lot of them don't have that stomach or the budget to do something like that. Yeah. I, I think, you know, it's definitely something that, we see with RGA clients as well, and this sort of blending that appetite. And as I'm sure you experience, it's, or I'd be curious, like, but the, you've got the younger, hungry team that that knows those media properties, wants to see things there, is pushing on it. And then, you know, there's always somebody where the risk is just is big. And obviously mm-hmm. right now it feels like the risk is particularly high as far as a cancel culture environment where, you know, something goes wrong. It's not just going to be a little bit of explaining. It's a, Oh, we now maybe navigating a boycott. Yeah, And then you're, you're tied into them. I think what Starbucks did in the case of the talent acquisition piece is they tied it into a military theme, which kind of gave them a little bit of coverage, Mm -hmm. which is smart. But at the same time, um, as I mentioned this, you guys will probably start seeing it a lot more, but you know, larger companies, a big push for them is, you know, making sure that they have uh, inclusion and diversity, but part of inclusion and diversity, believe it or not, like military falls under there, right? So 
uh, you'll see it now, like a lot of large companies like Verizon, um, my company is, is hopefully going to be pushing into that space a little bit more. Um, you know, having those military campaigns, those are very easy to run with anybody because it gives you the coverage of, you know, are you really going to criticize us for trying to hire military into roles, right? It's, it's tougher to do. So, um, which is, it's made me think of something interesting, which is, you know, how much of the areas that companies get particularly attacked, but even, even at the individual level comes down to, and I sometimes hate the authenticity word in the context of marketing, but you know, like it's so much, it seems like it's so much easier to get killed for some of these things when they just feel crass and opportunistic Yeah. versus, Hey, we're, you know, companies that are starting to try to do more positive things, recognizing that they have a role as sort of corporate citizens. And if you're doing good things, then it does give you that cover. I, uh, that's a, I just yeah. hadn't thought about some of that just even more broadly. I mean, obviously when you get into recruiting and diversity there, but as companies start to devote more resources in the right direction, I'm curious if that'll help to break through on some of this. Idea. And they all are. And that's great. That's really yeah. great. Like, I, like a lot of companies are doing that. Um, but I think one thing that I've heard in my space particularly is the, that it really is Kyle, an authenticity thing, because you if you're, you know, it's great that you can put people, you know, diversity in your videos. So they come to your site and they see someone diverse in the videos, but are you actually doing something about it versus are you, is it, is it you putting a worm on the hook and it's bait and switch and then, then they come in and, yeah. you know, they're, you know, you can go really deep into it, but like even from their onboarding experience, when a new colleague comes in, they go into a room and it's, you know, three guys like us sitting there like, like yeah. how, what is that experience like? Like it's gotta be, it's gotta go a lot deeper than just, Hey, putting shiny, happy, um, diversity in your videos. Like you yeah, have to do something. Well, it's where you get into some of the board seat stuff. There was a, a meme or, you know, kind of thing going around on Twitter where people were sort of taking different companies and just doing the oh. emoji like string to characterize like what the board of directors looks like. And so over the last Boston two years, Red Sox, the Boston Red Sox, like they talk about diversity and they talk about caring and stuff. Their entire board is white. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that's a, last a huge. Yeah. And that, so you get into those things where it's like, okay, we're out here trying to say this in outlets that are maybe questionable or have done some questionable things. And it's, that much you're that much more vulnerable if you go okay well i'm not sure if you mean this and now you've aligned with somebody whose values around this may be questionable so then yeah. it adds up to that versus yeah. just hey we were using a media buy media property that yeah maybe sometimes some aspects of it do but if it resonates with that audience then you know if it doesn't have to automatically be bad i guess is the is the point yeah, yeah. and and um we were, they were talking about pitching, uh, expanding the business to pitch like the Latino. I'm the darkest one here and who here actually speaks Spanish. And it was like, no, there is nobody. And, and, and it's like, and that's on the agency side. It's like, yeah, you're all young, you're all millennial, but you're all white. <laughs> and now you're talking about expanding into global markets and you have you know zero input uh, as to as to where that's going. Something that Kyle's always said that it's always resonated with me too is like when it comes to like sports marketing, right? Sports marketing is just to reach males in a certain demographic. 
right? Um, he used to say like, all right, if, if men were sewing, then, you know, advertisers would be going to, you know, sewing magazines or sewing websites. Um, you know, back to what you just described though, too, it's, it's not like, you know, your audience could be that, you know, 18 to 35 year old demographic, but for the industry that you seem to work in, it, it expands much further beyond that. So I think the other part is like looking at the fact that this is just a piece of the bigger puzzle, right. To reach this particular yep. segment of the audience. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's the most important thing is, is we're, you know, I always try to use the analogy when we meet with, you know, my clients are usually internal and it's like what you're describing is just a spoke in the entire wheel. And if that spoke is really important, that's really important, but you got to look at all the other things that go into this. Um, you know, again, you know, going back to what you said about, um, you know, having representation at all levels, this isn't going to be an easy fix right away. It's going to, it's going to take a while. And, you know, um, I think the last year is going to help that. I think that even goes back to Kyle. Like if you think from the agency level, I know that when I was at Verizon, they had the fellow, the, the ad fellows program mm -hmm. to ensure that, you know, on all levels of the people working on the marketing, they have, um, you know, representation because to your point, Don, you know, we could sit here and say that we, we want to do a, a Spanish campaign. None of us speak Spanish. Yes. So, so yes. many things can be lost in that. And I think, the, you know, things like that, Kyle, are like, I think more important than, you know, the traditional, you know, just filling a spoke in something. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, full transparency, uh, you know, Verizon is is one of RGA's largest clients. So we've participated in, in the ad fellows stuff as well. I think that's, it is really important. And one of the other things that I think a lot of that we and others are looking at is also just gets down to simple things like the vendors you use. And that might be, yep. hey, let's make sure is we're hiring commercial directors that were representative behind the camera and, in, and on those sides as the partners, all the way down to, you know, some of the, you know, can we, through some of the operational partners that we're hiring for, you know, everything from, you know, cleaning to food service, different role, like, can we find minority owned businesses? you know, and make sure that we're, you know, not just going to, you know, we're not extending the leadership that's affiliated with our business through our partners to, to exacerbate that, that diversity pro problem. And I, I you know, it, one of the things as you're talking about a lot of this, that it strikes me, I'm curious to get your thoughts on part of the particular acute challenge for sports going to some of what Don said is that just for the longest time, sports made sense as a media buy because it was so efficient from a one size fits all standpoint. I'm going to get 60 million people on this show and I can hit them with one message and generally, and I just think a lot of it is the, that largely that type of media has died. So now what you're doing, you know, you're trying to reach that audience, but with different messages in different places, which just, you didn't have to, you know, that was the, that was a lot of the advantage of sport. So it feels like I'm curious, you know, in, in a lot of the work you're doing, just, those dimensions of, you know, both the messages that are being put out in the audiences you're reaching and how that, how you see that shift as it relates to sports a little bit. Yeah. I, I think it, in terms of how, how it relates to sports, I think you're right. Like it's, um, it's ever expanding. And I have a very, uh, what my challenge is, is I have a global role, right? So I'm not just thinking the U S I'm thinking globally, um, you know, as it like as it relates with in terms of how we're getting the word out there, how we're targeting. In my profession, it's um, there's different you know challenges and layers added to it. Also, is like I'm 
I'm actually marketing towards skill sets, right? I'm marketing towards years of experience. I'm never marketing towards age. So, you know, that's a that's an interesting thing if you think through like um, from, from a, a, a sports standpoint, if you were to um, say, you know, do, a, do an ad buy for, um, you know, like let's say we were doing an ad buy to uh, some of our competitors, they, um, they sponsor, um, Soccer teams. I'm I'm drawing the blank on what's the what's the top level soccer. Premier League, what, MLS here in the states. No, no, globally. Oh, oh, like a Premier League and and Premier League. League. Like they'll be. We have competitors that are on their uniforms, right? So <laughs> they people internally ask me, like, well, what would it cost for us to do that? <laughs> it's like, whoa, here we go. But to your point, that's such a such a wide net. When you do those buys, Kyle, I assume you're flying into those countries. Those also come into um, the, the areas that we think is like if you're going after an executive, you want them, you know, you want them to land in Ireland. You want them to get off the, the, the airport when they're walking in. You want to see you want to hit them as you're walking into an airport. So we try to think of things like that from an out of home perspective of, of marketing ourselves. But um yeah, our challenge, believe it or not, is is where some of our competitors are on the uniforms, and that's that's nowhere near. And, and you know, in our case, it's a it's a mix of um, hiring, but a majority of it them being on the uniform is because it's, it's a lot of consultancy work, so they can you know bring in clients that way. It's funny. It seems like everything's really going full full circle. We have the out of home, the traditional stuff of, you know, 15, 20 years ago, um, you know, talking about, you know, we mentioned like Barstool before Barstool, it was like dead spin where people were afraid to like dip their toe into those outlets. But even before that, it was like, why do we need to pitch blogs? <laughs> like who are blog? Like who are these people? Right. And now kind of, kind of coming to where you're at now, where you're talking about this more 360 marketing approach. Did you find a period where, uh, the clients that you work with or the agencies that you work with or the companies that you work with viewed digital, right? Everybody's doing it. We need to do it. It's a silver bullet and tried to put too much emphasis on that as opposed to that holistic approach. Yeah. I think um, the silver bullet thing and Kyle, you probably have experienced this too. Is like, Oh, well then we just need to do social. So at first social was great. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, put dollars behind because it was free, right? Social will fix everything because it's free. It's not free anymore. And um, changing the mindset for that is a real struggle is getting people to wrap their heads around. You know, it's almost like first you need, first you need to get them to buy into social and digital, and then you need to pull them back and say, okay, but now, you know, we, we need to, we need to balance this out a little bit. So it's like a constant reeducation of, the mediums and the tools that are out there. Yeah, and, and, and it's a struggle too in terms of reporting out to them about why, the how, um, you know, why we should be putting money into um, sponsorship. Um, you know, it, 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 the biggest thing that I always see is that, you know, to your point, Don, it's changing the, like, you just can't ha- do one thing. Um, and, you know, what I've seen too is that there's been kind of a calling back from the client side of um, agency spend is down uh, globally. Um, and I, I think what, what, what you often hear too is like, well, we don't need an agency. We can come up with those ideas. And my response to that is always like, you do not want us coming up with the ideas because we are, we're 
drinking the Kool-Aid, we're brainwashed. You need an outside perspective to come in, take a look at your business, take a look at how you're, you're observed externally, and that's how you should be analyzing you know, what you're doing. Um, so I think that's, that's been some change in the last four or five years I've noticed is that they've tried to, a lot of uh, larger companies have tried to take things in-house and I don't think that is necessarily the, the, they saw that as the magic bullet. Like, why should we pay someone else to do this? You really need that external. And I'm sure Kyle's like nodding his head in agreement because it's just inherently makes more sense. Like, it, it, And it's a mixed, you know, I think it's, it depends on the things, right? I think there are a number of rinse, repeat tasks that yep. oftentimes paying an agency at the, you know, the, at the overhead that comes with that to do, you know, you start to move things in house and some organizations that move very fast, that's important too. But, you know, we have clients that in some cases even have us in bed and we've got, you know, yep. badges and people working there, but there's a little bit of the, that exactly what you're saying, the outside perspective, a little bit of breaking consensus or, or group think internally where, Hey, look, if we take this all on ourselves, we can get into rounds and rounds of swirl where nothing gets done. And or you get, you get, I've noticed internally, Kyle, is you get, um, don't show that to this person. Cause they're not going to like it. They're, they're exactly. Like the politics. <laughs> like, well, what are we doing that? here? Like, like if you were, as if you have an external agency, I used to hate, can we see, the question would be like, when I worked on the agency side, can we see the deck before we present it? Like, hell no. Yeah. Because we know what you're going to do. You're going to be like, I don't like the expensive things. I don't like three, four, and five because, oh, the director's not going to like that. She had a bad experience with blank. So I think that's that's where it really comes in. And um, I think the embedded thing is you can get away with that, but it's when it's when the individual marketing people internally are just having too much of a say in the creative process um, from the outset. They can, I, I think in my case, I like having a creative out, you know, responding to things versus picking and choosing. I think picking and choosing is when it gets dangerous. There was a, a another meme going around that was something along the lines of like creatives, what are the worst five words to hear? And I think one of them was like, so I showed my wife um, oh. you know, like, but, but yeah, I think we've, we've you know, in agency world been through a lot of those and, you know, yeah. it's constantly going think through. About, yeah. Yeah, we did. Uh, yeah. So yeah, no. And, and constantly going through transformation. The other factor in all of this is, is just the, you know, where over the last few years, Google and Facebook kind of became everything right. In terms of digital from the digital standpoint and that spend, and obviously they built up their own in shot internal creative teams that, Oftentimes they'll provide some of those resources to, you know, hey, look, if you're gonna spend hundred million dollars, of course, we'll give you award-winning creatives to help you think about how best to use that money over the next year. And so it's a, you know, it is, you said it, it's a different, different dynamic now and lots of ways that agencies are kind of getting are bleeding out a little bit as far as where the dollars are going. But um, but same on the flip side, there's a lot of examples I think you'd point to and say, yeah, maybe some of those new ways aren't going as well. Um, and back to what we were saying before of, you know, maybe sometimes in that drinking the Kool-Aid, you're getting into, you're being maybe naive about some of the media buys you're doing and what the, how they might be perceived in certain yeah. contexts. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I've been lucky enough to work with some really creative people that, um, you know, Don, you know, like Steve, Steve Giuliano, like I, 
I work now on things where I'm just like, I remember his typography was so tight on things. Like he'll, he'll design things. And it's like, how did you even think of that? Like insanity, you know, and my friend Mike. Um, and so now I think as I go on to the other side of it, cause like, you know, I worked on the agency side. Now I work on the internal side. It, it's kind of skewed some of the things I see. Sometimes I see things. It's like, Oh God. Well, I, I think it's <laughs> nice that we kind of grew up in this stuff. Right. So 10, 15 years ago, we were those younger creative types that are trying to throw these wacky ideas out to these old white guys in the corner offices. Right. And I think now some of these creatives have, fallen into those leadership roles where you're able to see things a little differently. And I think that ties into sort of the inclusion and, uh, you know, those efforts that you're making as well. How much do you get from, um, from the brands or even this, we kind of joke about these new platforms, right? Whether it's TikTok or clubhouse, right? How much knee jerk reaction do you currently get when these things are popping up? Like, Oh, we got to get on TikTok or, Oh, we got to get on clubhouse. And, and how much do you have to bat that away or, or, you know, entertain those ideas? Um, I, I, you know, we get hard nose and it, you know, in, in the industry that I work in, it's a slow, slow move. So Instagram was, used to be a hard no. Now it's Instagram is, you know, pretty easy. Yes. Um, but I'll be honest. Yeah. Like Snapchat came and went without me ever getting any any thirst to do stuff. On right. But there are probably people in, you know, your ear or other decision makers ears, like, what are we going to do on Snapchat? <laughs> like we need to get yeah. on Snapchat. Uh, well, and, and so build on it. Also, what about the influencer side, the creator side? Do you guys do anything never, any with that? No, I've never, I've never gotten into that area. Um, influencer. I, there was always a thirst for influencers. And I think that we've, uh, when I was on the agency side, you give them you give them a range on what it will cost. They'll pick the lower end, and then you get what you paid for. You mm-hmm. know, um, mm-hmm. I've never been lucky enough to to do it on the high end. Um, you know, you just you just tap into Tim Ryan and you know, yeah, right, day. <laughs> and Don Povey and Kyle Bunch. Um, the uh, I think on the the an interesting thing too now is I'm starting to see a lot of thirst for live, which is new for us. Um, and uh, what we always worry about with the live piece is the, you know, how do we worry about what people are saying, et cetera. So um, we've, we've seen that kind of bubble up. We're going to be, you know, where I work, it's a very, it's like a turtle. It's very slow, it's very selective in what we're doing. So, I'm, you know, this year we're looking to do some, some live content. Um, you know, the one thing I always say about live, and I, I still do some political consulting on the side, and particularly them, they're, they're always worried about even like some of the comments on their Facebook pages. And I'm like, look, as long as it's not vo- vo- uh, vulgar, it's an opportunity to yep. present your side of the argument, right? So yep. bat it down with facts and, you know, and, and a well thought out response or, you know, just a, a frank response to it. Um you know, kind of shifting back to blogs of balls. I mean, you came up for um, Toronto. I'm sure you've attended a couple others. Everything just seems to like blur together. And as a guy that's kind of been, I'm assuming, at any number of marketing conferences and conventions, um, was there anything that kind of stuck out in a positive way or a negative way um, through your experience with us? Uh, positive, I think that um, I don't know how else to put it, but it was just like cooler people um, versus marketing conferences i feel like we prided ourselves on that yeah (laughs) i think marketing conferences i i tend to be the guy of like either head back to my room and catch up on sleep or um 
not connect with anyone and go, you know, explore on my own versus I could become the loner, right? Um, I think what I've experienced at Blog of the Falls was um, every, like there's a, there's a community and, you know, that being said, it's kind of like like-minded individuals in a lot of ways in terms of like giving a shit about sports, um, you know, not on the, not on the, uh, I think it's kind of a knowledge thing too. Like you, you generally, you feel like when you're talking to people, at, uh, well, I think back to some conversations like I had with like David Ficillo, is it Ficillo? That's right. I, you're friends with someone on Twitter. Let's call him Fooch, uh, right? Yeah. yeah. You had intelligent conversations that were la- like free of bullshit of like, oh, geez, what, what, do you, what do you think LeBron's signing this year? Or who's on your fantasy team? Like shit like that you don't get. So I would say that that was uh, what kind of jumped out at me at, at, at those types of event, at your, well, your events. The thing with Fooch too, I mean, you mentioned like-minded people, but like within this, you know, umbrella of people that talk about sports as a hobby or for a living, there's also a lot of, and again, I'm joking about my shirt, my, my stay woke, right? There's, there's the woke crowd. There's the kind of comedic crowd. There's the, you know, we up in Toronto, we had the, the stats and analytics crowd, right? Yep. Too. So there's also a lot of different personalities and you and Fooch, like knowing you guys individually probably don't fall in line with a lot of like cultural topics or at least, you know, may butt heads, not saying like you're polar opposites, but like, yeah, we're, you're, you're, we're the same in one sense, but there's a lot of different people that can come together. And like you said, and have an intelligent conversation, whether it's about your fantasy team or something else, I think yeah. it humanizes well, you, people. You by, if you by have t- intelligence, you talk about things that right. people realize, like we're not going to fight over the fact of like, uh, should the Patriots go after Jimmy Garoppolo? Like I can make a joke about it to a guy who rates for the 49ers. Right. Right. Like, that's easy. You know, there are things I'm not going to go to him and talk to him about, but <laughs> that intelligence level that people have, you know, right. I, mean? I think it's taking it off the social platforms, taking off of Twitter where you're just kind of yelling and snipping. You don't know what the tone is <laughs> and sitting with these guys like, yeah, it seemed like kind of like a pretentious dick. And that's not directed at Fooch in any way. Like there's some people online okay. that kind of come across, come across that way. But you're like, I tell people all the time, they're like, how are you friends with that person? I'm like, I have a lot of, got some great times with him or her, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And oh my God, like, I feel like, like, I'm going to be labeling myself saying that I would be a get me, me against Pooch. By the way, home food. Like, that's not the case at all. But I think no, we're no. kind of like projecting a little bit there. Um, so yeah, I think that that that's the one thing that I, that I came away with. It was like a, I don't know how else to put it because I'm a 47 year old dad, like cooler crowd, you know, uh, <laughs> cool friends versus, you know, nothing against my other friends or the people that, <laughs> i don't know about you guys i'll open it up to the floor but like my wife was trying to tell my kids how cool like she and i are like you don't know there's some pretty lame parents out there your parents are kind of cool and trying to convince my kids of that like they don't even want to hear it i think it's just almost fundamentally impossible and i th- so i almost i feel like you want to strike a balance of not being too cool because then it's going to send your kid in a direction where he's going to have to, he, she is going to have to knee jerk against whatever you were. So you sort of have to leave room. Like, here's the things I want you to, uh, I'm deliberately setting you up to be the opposite of, but not the like taste in music. You you need to follow my taste in music if you want. Yeah. Like, like dad, like Dave Matthews band. Right? 
<laughs> you, I, I know exactly. in 20 years you're going to be laughing about like and my dad made me watch Carrot Top like- all the time so I, I found refuge in 30 Rock you know like there's got to be some things like that yeah, Jamie now that I think of it you like Dave Matthews band and you're the biggest Crocs fan that I know so I don't, I don't know about Which your cool like, card Crocs are cool me. now man that's a that that happened thanks to Posty right see I know that is Posty <laughs> exactly no I, I will say though that uh, I do take pride in like you know this year at the super bowl um the you know we have the you know what we call the pods the people that we hang out with right and a couple of the kids were gravitating towards me when we were watching the super bowl because i was like talking about probably like i had five dollar bets on things i'm like <laughs> i saw my kids seeing like their friends being like oh wow mr hamill actually like because i'm like oh I have Brady at half of an interception. You think he's going to get it? And I like kind of took pride in that. Like nice. you know, they were like, "Wow, my dad's not a complete fucking dork." So, <laughs> Jamie, thank you for not being a dork. Thank you for joining us. Uh, can we look forward to a uh, one night only uh, sports hernia? That, that sounds like a good clubhouse thing. There, that's a good. You, guys- uh, you know what I think we did wrong? I think it was too early in the day. I feel like clubhouse really gets going. We got to wait a little bit. We got to go late night with sports hernia. I think is yeah. We play. we get Noonan and Grady on there, um, and then uh, yeah, we can. I mean, have you guys ever thought about just doing something randomly? No. No. I rebuilt the website like five years ago and I was like, guys, let's post. And no one posted. That newsletters have come back around. Now's your time yeah. to shine. And, and if you want a new contributor, we can we can invite her to Clubhouse. Our new friend Flavia has offered to uh, make an appearance at uh, a bit of an call, inside, inside baseball. But we got back trolled. to Flavia. We got trolled by somebody who I think might have been a kid who was like you know, asked us a question muffled. <laughs> and then I think said something like you guys are fucking dorks. <laughs> so, yeah. It, it, it hurt a little bit. You know, it was Friday. Fortunately I had a beer, but yeah. I, I'm clubhouse. in. I'm in. I, I mean, we'll have to get the other guys in. Yeah. We should do that. I think. I, yeah. that Have us have uh Joe sports fan guys on there. An HHR, the, the unholy Alliance there that, uh, yeah. you know, we were, we, we were going to have a podcast network before they were a thing. So well ahead of our times here. I'll just add this one, like last note that I, that my wife kind of always reminds me of. And I think I, I kind of, well, she doesn't really realize it, but like, you know, we'll be hanging out and, um, someone will say something and be, and like, they'll say something about like Dave Portnoy and my wife will say, did you know that they went to, um, they offered to, they offered my husband and his friends to work for, for Barstool? And they said no. And it's like, like, she was like, we could be millionaires. I'm like, yeah, it really probably wasn't like that. Cause like, you know, at one point he was approaching people and he came to us and like, do you want to be Barstool New York? And I always say to my wife, like, it would have never worked. Right? You could have been K Marco in uh, KFC over here. We would have never done it because we would have never had, you know, we would have never had the time to do it. We all had jobs. And then like, secondly, like they were not a part of our alliance. Okay. Yeah, that's yep, true. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like we had our crew. We had our crew. I remember when Tim sent the email, he was like, you know, they're asking us to do this. And we were like, Fuck no, those guys are they do smoke show blogs. We're not doing <laughs> <laughs> well, oh. my wife thinks she's like she sees dollar signs. I'm like, 
yeah, I wouldn't have gone that way. <laughs> Excellent story. I, li- I like it. I like that story to wrap it up. Uh, Jamie, thank you, man, for uh, for thank jumping in and joining us. We'll appreciate it. We'll have to get some of the other guys on at some point. Tim had done uh, our our GQ event. Uh, we'll see if we can't we can't drag him out and, and get. Um, yeah, that's the one he went to. Right. <laughs> exactly. Wait, can I tell one more story? That yeah, a great one. Run it. Do you remember when me, you, and Kim had the opportunity to meet Tom Brady? Uggs. Yes, I didn't go. Did you go? No one went. Nobody. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you probably threw a post up making fun of Tom Brady and his Uggs endorsement. No, we were, we got no, we got. I, I did it come through you? It came I remember. No, I remember the campaign because Jonathan Schechter was working with Sachi and Sachi, and they were. I remember this pretty distinctly because he came to BWB the one at, uh, at Bloomberg and they were promoting. Yeah. I remember them promoting the Tom Brady Uggs Alliance. And I want, I think I definitely like wussed out or I was like, I don't know if we're going into the, it was kind of last minute, but I remember <laughs> the next day we were looking at like photos from the event and it was like literally Tom Brady with like 19 girls and like one guy. And it was like, we could have totally, <laughs> totally like been the only guys. He probably would have spoken to us. Right. <laughs> That's the one you could have worked at TV mind. 12. I mean, uh, I, you missed like, uh, like two Boston sports juggernauts here. Come on. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. And I mean, at that point, I was drinking the Tom Brady Kool Aid. I would have been like, I would have been Chris, Bar- Chris Farley. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. Remember when you won the Super Bowl? <laughs> that was awesome. That was awesome. <laughs> it would have been funny, though. Been funny. <laughs> well, speaking of awesome, Jamie, thank you. Great show. Uh, Kyle, until next week, mask up. Keep, yeah, keep that thing under control. Thanks for having me on. This was fun. Yeah, no, great, great seeing you again, Jamie. All, All right. right. I'm Don Povia. That's Kyle Bunch. Our guest, Jamie Hamill. Till next week, we're the OGs. Bye-bye.